This podcast is a production of Empower Podcasting Company. Empower Podcasting offers accessible podcasting production services for nonprofit organizations and purpose-driven individuals and businesses. Starting a podcast doesn't need to be an uphill battle. Let Empower Podcasting help you make your podcast a reality. Learn more at www.empowerpodcasting.com. Welcome to A Seat at the Table, a podcast by teens for teens. Here, we believe in our youth and the insight they have into our world today. So we give them space to discuss, relate to, and encourage each other to change the world. Let's meet our students with A Seat at the Table today. First up, we have Ashley. Ashley Dorica is a senior at Crossroads Prep Academy and is interested in starting a tea cafe. She is passionate about bringing a space of rest to Kansas City amid the stress. Ashley is empathetic, hilarious, and helpful. Good morning, Ashley. Good morning. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your vision for this tea cafe, because I am intrigued. Oh, gosh. Um, so when I was little, my nana taught me how to make tea the British way, and so I always, it's a special memory, just going to her house and making tea. And I kind of walked away from that for a little bit, and I was obsessed with coffee, and then my body decided to hate it. I can't drink <laughs> coffee anymore. And so... I've just really become invested in the tea life, and I wish that there were tea cafes that I could go to and like get a good tea drink because there's not any kids. Yeah. Um, and I think I just want to touch the community that doesn't have a safe home to go to yes. and kind of make a space that is a safe home. Like even if they can't stay overnight, they can stay there as long as they need. I love that so much. That is that's really insightful. First of all, secondly, I don't drink coffee either, um, and so a place where I could go, like a coffee shop, but a tea shop. Sounds really great. I, I really like that. So I'm going to keep up to date on that. And I'm definitely going to visit that tea cafe. <laughs> Next up on our student panel, we have Stefan Williams. How are you today, Stefan? Doing great. Good. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, student athlete, you know. <laughs> Young black male. On the come up uh, future, I'm going to go up to college and hopefully become a zoologist. I don't know any black zoologists, any, especially anyone famous coming out of my community. So I just hope to be the first of the first and just to give back to mammals in general. So that's just me. I love that so much. I'm a big animal lover myself. So anybody that likes animals, I'm like, okay, you're cool. I can't not like you. <laughs> All right. So now I want to introduce our panel experts for this episode. First, let's meet Mrs. Jillian Rainingbird. Jillian is a powerhouse advocate who goes above and beyond to push for equality for all, more specifically students with disabilities and Native American indigenous groups. Good morning, Jillian. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Can't wait to hear what you bring to this. I'm excited. Thank Good you. To be here. Thank you. And also, it's Jillian's birthday. So we're going to all tell her happy birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday! <laughs> we so hope that you get to celebrate yourself today and that others celebrate you as much as you deserve. Secondly, on our expert panel, we have Mrs. Roxana Chaffe. Roxana is an influential champion who battles for equality for all. She is unafraid to challenge what is presented as a standard of acceptance and has worked to implement change in the spaces she is in. Good morning, Roxana. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. You know, I really appreciate both of you being here. Our first conversations together with both of you were so inspirational and really just refreshing to me. I honestly, there's comments that both of you made to me and I just can't get them out of my head. So you have already made an impact on me in just the short time that we've known each other. So I can't wait for our listeners to hear from you as well. 
So now that we've met everyone, let's dig into our topic. Some terms that we've been hearing a lot in the past few years are diversion, equity, and inclusion. And today I want to, I want to facilitate an open conversation about what these words mean to each of you in your daily lives. So for this episode, I will be doing less of the talking and relating and more of the listening. I will facilitate or encourage conversation, but I do feel as a white woman that has visible privilege, it is not my turn to be heard. As an ally, I feel that I need to give this platform to our underserved and underprivileged voices, and I hope that our listeners will join me in hearing and considering the viewpoints of these voices. So I want to go to our student panel first and start this conversation out. Um, you know, I met with both of you yesterday, and you guys really, I, I enjoyed getting to know you and some of the personal experiences that you're going to bring to this table. Um, so I went home yesterday, and I just, you know, I really was thinking about things that parts of our conversation and things that you said. And one thing that we talked about was individuality and how personal experiences shape us in the lens that we see our world through. And I found this quote, and I feel like it really fits into our conversation. So I wanted to see what you guys thought about it. Um, Tom Robbins, an American novelist, said, equality is not in regarding different things similarly. Equality is, regarding, is in regarding different things differently. And so, like I said, we talked yesterday a lot about how we view other people and um, maybe assume or make judgments based off of the lens that we have in our lives. So how do you guys feel about this quote? I mean, do you agree with it? Do you get, disagree with it? What do you think? Um, well, from first glance or first thought of the quote, it sounded confusing a little bit, but mm -hmm. it, it kind of come natural to me, but uh, I think it's definitely an agreeable quote, I would say, and very relatable because I've, we've all been, been in the perspective when we have just someone based off of what we've been through. And, you know, just for safety measures or so-and-so called uh, safe steps, that's it. What about you, Ashley? What do you think? Um, I agree. The first time you said it was kind of like, wait, what did you just say? <laughs> yes. I had to think about it a little bit. And I feel like that it does kind of relate to what we were talking about yesterday because we were both bringing our, like, we were both bringing each of our perspectives and they were clearly very different. And yes. so there's no way that someone could view those as like, oh, they're definitely similar because mm -hmm. they're not. Mm -hmm. But what I thought was really cool yesterday when you guys were talking is, you're right, your experiences are extremely different. And we'll get more into that for you guys personally and your, your own experiences. But what I really loved, and I think is a very important point to get across, is that while you guys were so different, you guys have the same vision, you have the same goals, you believe in, you have many of the same beliefs. And so while you have those different experiences, you guys bring a different piece to the puzzle that is going to help change the world, hopefully, and make some progress in this era, area especially. So, Stefan, why don't you tell us a little bit about your experiences growing up? Uh, basically, start off saying I am a lover from my family. We've all grown together pretty tightly. A lot of events that we go to together. Um, I don't know, I love those people. We really get along. I know a lot of people around me don't have really strong bonds with their family, but... I can say that I can say that I know every individual in my family loves me with a lot of love and I can just say I know that my family would always have my back if no one else would. Yeah, 
that's a great feeling, isn't it? Yeah. So yesterday you touched on, um, you know, you are the only male in your house. Uh, you grew up in a single parent household. Would you elaborate on that? Just give our listeners a little bit of context um, into how that shaped you into the young man that you are. Uh, definitely at an early age, I was taught to uh, be the grown man of the house, take on leadership skills, even with yard work or just making sure the doors are locked every night, being the last person to lock the doors, check the windows, making sure your house is safe. Um, and then you have the yard work chores, you know, cutting the grass, taking the trash out, all the maintenance around the house, making sure everything is clean well, and up to duty for people to use in the house. But overall, I feel like it shaped me in a good way. I feel like I'm pretty hands-on with a lot of my tasks and I know what I'm doing based off experience at a younger age, mm -hmm. but I, I don't regret the way I grew up. I mean, I feel so as if my mom did her thing at the end of the day, yeah. you know, single parent household. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like I, I'm a gentleman. <laughs> I feel like I have the whole package. I feel like if even if I did have a father, I would still be the same, you know? Mm -hmm. So, mm, you know what I'm sure. You seem really grateful for that. Thank you. I'm kind yeah, of and appreciative. You. <laughs> You're okay. Don't You don't need to be nervous. Um, so you have shared that you are a student athlete, um, and that is something that you're very clearly passionate about. So what ways do you think that growing up in poverty has affected you as an athlete for good or otherwise? Okay, so we're going to start off with my mom um, not driving. She doesn't drive at all. We all take public transportation. So when it comes to sports and the extracurriculars that I want to do out of school, I have to either find a bus line or like a ride or way of transportation. So we're gonna start by that. Because that's the main thread. Same anything that I wanted to do growing up, besides, you know, football or football or uh, just any other extracurricular. So I have to go out of my way, making sure I have a ride there and back. Um, and then on top of that, when it comes to extracurriculars, it could cost a lot of money if you want to play, um, what is it? UA? Uh, no, 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 I'm sorry. Competitive. If you want yeah. to play competitively yeah, yeah. in football, it, that costs a lot of money, you know. Mm -hmm. And coming from a single parent, it's kind of hard just trying to uh, make sure she has it all. And I know from a young age that my mom was a rich girl. That we weren't a rich family growing up, and mm -hmm. that came to me naturally. You know, it didn't affect me. I still did my thing, going mm -hmm. to class, still smiling. And I'm, right now, I'm still smiling. I'm still in the same predicament, but um, I don't know. I'm just very grateful for the way I grew up and. My, I feel like my awareness has uh, came to me uh, very heavily, I would say that. And I just got to say that <laughs> I love my mom for supporting me in everything she can. You know, it's hard for it's hard for me to do things knowing that she is juggling multiple tasks and like get teary up here. <laughs> and I just... Uh, I just hope I could support her and give her all that energy and time she deserves when I get older and, you know, easily pay the debt off of anything she's ever owed. Um, treat her nicely, you know, buy her a nice house, take her out on vacation. Just, that's my main source of energy, knowing that my mom is literally breaking her back for me just to do simple things like go buy a pair of shoes or go to the store. <laughs> So I feel like 
She sounds like an amazing woman. And I think the three moms over here are all sitting here blinking real fast, trying to choke back some tears. I just, I think it's really special, especially when a teenager can just grasp what you have about your mom and how hard she works for you. And you understand truly that that, you know, that is our job as moms. And it sounds like you have a really amazing one. So make sure you go hug her tonight and give her a big hug. Uh, that's a little bit more on how poverty brings the community uh, together. Yeah. Growing up, I was always outside with a bunch of friends just doing stuff that we couldn't do in the house because we didn't have any money. So we'd make up any extra activities, make mud pies outside. Uh, I <laughs> had a group of friends that we would just go around playing football, just the good memories you bring with the community. And on top of that, my siblings, I'm really tight with both of my siblings. Uh, I have two, I have one younger sister and one older sister, I'm right in the middle. So I've always been like uh, a little bit of a protector, but also like I've got the feel of what it's like to be feminine. So I have a good balance of masculinity and feminism. So I don't know, I I appreciate them for that because I feel like I have a good plan. I'm not too, over masculinity or over masculine or too feminine if that makes sense yeah it does sounds sounds like a good balance mm-hmm. there so do you is your community still that tight-knit yeah, yeah. so you think that's something that is um gonna last so yesterday where this is where i'm going yesterday you touched on how um you guys really focus on giving back and being a community and doing things together. So what does that look like in your community? So as I mentioned yesterday, I'm a part of a junior youth group and we basically give back to our community because it's hard because we don't have any money and not really everyone's willing to give back to Mm -hmm. a different community if they're not from it. So we take the time to do co-drives. We do a bunch of, we help the pantry out a whole bunch of times. We, I remember packing so many boxes for the pantry and like dropping them off at people's, at my neighbor's uh, front yard. And I don't know, on top of that, we try to bring religion into our mm-hmm. junior youth group and just talk about how God is always there for us, even if we don't feel like he's here. So I feel like with positive people around you and also religion and doing positive things, it impacts the community that I stand in. So I just, I'm very appreciative to be in that. Like I, that came to me, they came to me and knocked on my door. They're like, are you interested in doing it? I was like, yes, for sure, 100%. And I've been doing it for three years now. I just graduated last year and I'm still like, they're still checking up on me every day. How's graduation going and just still very positive people. I'm glad to have them in my life, so. It sounds like you live in a true community. You know, it's, it is, the part that stuck out to me about your story and your community is the fact that the people that are helping are the people that need the help. You guys all stick together. And if your neighbor needs it, you go and you put it on your neighbor's porch. And then if you need it, your neighbor brings it to you. And I think that just speaks complete volumes about where you're growing up and how you're growing up. And I can see that in your personality, how that is coming through and how that has shaped you. So that, that's pretty awesome. I like it. I like it. We're going to shift over to Ashley now. So Ashley, um, you have shared with us that you were homeschooled until eighth grade, and that's when you joined public school. So how do you think that your experience have sh- experiences have shaped you being homeschooled and now being in a, a diverse public school? Kind of similar to Stefan, I'm so thankful for my mom because she's the one that homeschooled me. 
uh, and she's the one that gave me the foundation that I would need to be academically ready to succeed in life. But coming from being at home all the time, yes, we went to like extracurricular events, but then being like kind of shot into the public school system, it was a huge culture shock. There were things that I didn't know existed, and I would go home and talk to my mom, and she'd be like, oh, this is what this word means. Like, don't say this. If someone asks you to do this, like, say no. Because <laughs> I, just, I didn't know yep. about any of that. I just I couldn't conceive a world that would have those things or, like, you know? Yeah. That's, that's, I feel like that's kind of my experience of being homeschooled and being in the public school system. It's just a really big culture shock. So... Do you feel like people make assumptions about you knowing that you're homeschooled? Because I know, you know, back when I was a kid and people were homeschooled, unfortunately, they got labeled as like the antisocial kids or the weird kids or lacking social skills. Um, And we all know that people make judgments. People make assumptions. Um, What they use them for, hopefully, is good, Um, not to condemn anyone, but what do you think, how do you think that people perceived you when you, when you did join the public school system? I, I don't really know how people perceived me when I joined the public school system, but I do know that I was like super concerned about it. Yes. A lot of the time I would, gosh, I would do things for people to like me or want to be my friend because I wanted to be accepted and I wanted to be seen and belong because I've, always struggled with the feeling of I don't belong and like people don't see me or people just want to use me Mm -hmm. for how smart I am or how I look or like what I can do for them or like what I can bring to them you Mm -hmm. know and so I was always worried about the assumptions people would make about me but I never actually really knew what it was they were thinking about me right right so in I am sure there were moments because, again, it's completely natural. Whenever you did join the public school system, did you find yourself making judgments about people or groups of people or anything like that? Yeah. That's a really good question. That's a really deep question. I think that I can't think of any assumptions off the top of my head, but I know that I made assumptions because I'm human and I have my own biases that I have to work through yes. and that I have to deal with and be like, actually, that's not right. Or like, yes, that was a good judgment for my safety. Or like, no, that wasn't fair to assume that of that person because I don't know. And we kind of talked about this yesterday, but like how I get through those assumptions or even like give people grace for having assumptions about me is asking a question. It, I feel it's so important if you don't know mm-hmm. what you don't know yeah. you have to ask a question so that you can know yeah because it's not fair to put things on people and you haven't even talked to them you don't know their name you know? yeah absolutely I, I'm really glad you said that that was the quote that stuck out to me when we were talking is you don't know what you don't know um, but what I love about what you said is that yeah I'm sure that I did and I know they weren't always right and I I hope that you're giving yourself grace when you did make those assumptions um, because you don't know what you don't know. But as you learn, we learn better, we learn more, we do better, right? Um, so thank you for sharing that. And just that's vulnerable, being vulnerable. So thank you. Thank you for doing that. I really appreciate that. So now we're going to turn to our experts a little bit. Um, you know, one term that I I feel that we hear a lot is microaggression. It is something that we discuss within our own organization um, quite often in um, an education way. We are educated on what it means, um, what it can look like, how to uh, 
you know, take a step back and realize what we're doing and, and change our own biases. Um, and so I have microaggression defined as a statement, action, or incident regarded as an instance of indirect, subtle, or unintentional discrimination against members of a marginalized group, such as a racial or ethnic minority. For me, I think the a very important word in here is unintentional. Um, so a lot of times when we talk about equality and racism and microaggressions, it's we hear people getting defensive. Well, I didn't mean it that way. That was not my intention. Okay, well, it might not have been your intention, but that is how it came across. And so I think a, a very important part of that is the unintentional. But again, it goes back to exactly what Ashley says. When you know better, you do better. You don't know what you don't know. And then when you learn, just humble yourself, just like Ashley has, and know that you can learn more. So Roxana, do you have personal examples of a time that you either witnessed or you had a microaggression used against you, your family? How'd you handle the situation? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, so I'm, I'm a white passing person of color. My parents are Iranian immigrants. And um, it's really interesting to me because, you know, microaggression is a word that just came into my vernacular probably in the last, I don't know, five years. And as I learned that term and what it means and its impact, I started looking back across my life and going, well, that was just life, right? Like, um, I mean, I can't count the number of times, you know, people have said that. I remember distinctly in high school, somebody saying, a parent saying to me, oh, well, you're going to have it made because of your background. And like, that kind of sat oddly with me because mm -hmm. I thought, well, but I'm also smart and I work really hard, mm -hmm. right? So like this idea, and, and in hindsight, that was a, a unintentional, mm -hmm. right? Kind of microaggression. Um, and then of course, you know, throughout, throughout my life, right, I've experienced those, those different things or like, you know, people comment on my looks because of my ethnicity or, um, and then even as like a parent, you know, my oldest child is on the spectrum and, you know, people make comments like, oh, um, he just needs more discipline or right. Like not, it's not his disability. It's, it's, it's these microaggressions. And then more recently, we even um, fostered a young man, a young African-American man. And I think when we talked, I, I was like, you know, I've worked in the community for years. Um, race and ethnicity has has kind of, it's it's been the foundation of a lot of the work I've done. So I consider myself fairly aware or woke. But even having a young black man in my home Ex like my experience was almost shocking, right? Just to see him being treated, how he's treated out in public. Um, and, you know, I, I shared the story that we were, we, we go to the local, the corner store. Let's say the corner store. <laughs> and my policy with my kids has always been like, feel free to wander around. I'm going to get what I need to get. And then, but find me, you have to find me when I'm ready to check out. I'm not running around the store looking for you, which typically the kids go to the toy section, right? They start, right? And this, you know, I have this young man with us. This one, we go in, we're doing the same thing we always do. 
but I can feel the air shift in the store. And the employees are clearly watching something. So I look around, right? I'm like, oh, what, what's happening? <laughs> And I look, and from the back of the store, I see a manager approaching a group of kids. And the closer she gets, I go, wait, those are, those are my kids. And then she's like, and they're standing in the toys, and they're having the same conversation they've had a hundred times. Well, I'm going to get this. I'm going to get, right? Like, and they're looking at the toys, and they're not getting anything, right? But they're having that, and they're happy. And I don't know what she says to him, because of course I'm out of earshot, but all of a sudden their faces drop and their shoulders drop and they like like they did something. And they come up, and so I immediately I'm like, what's going on? She goes, Well, children are not allowed to be un unattended in the store. And I'm like, No, that's not true. I come in here every day. And the only difference today is that a young black child is with these children. And I was so furious and physically affected by that. It's like I was shaking. I couldn't drive. Like I ushered them immediately into the car and then just like could not move because nothing was different. And, and it, it's compounded by the fact that I felt I feel prepared. Mm -hmm. I know what yeah. racism is. I know what micro, I, I'm not immune to these things. I have direct experience and I have an academic knowledge of these things. And still, right, like that, you know, that happened. And so all of these like little pockets of experience that have kind of, you know, define microaggression mm -hmm. and they just they just exist and they just they just happen right like all the time oh that is such a powerful story it the first time you told me I feel like I still feel the same like it just brings back those like you said the physical feelings you know like getting nauseous and angry just thinking about that for you and your family and yeah that that gets to me a lot the first couple times, like, I think I told Jillian, I couldn't get it out. Yeah. Like, it took a long time mm -hmm. before I could talk about that experience yeah. in a way that didn't have me, again, freaking, mm -hmm. like, physically yeah. crying. And When you said that you, you know, told the manager, no, that's not it. I was, when you were saying that, I was thinking, I don't know how you got those words out of your mouth because I am sitting here and... This does not affect me directly, but I'm speechless. Like, I'm having problems finding words. I can't imagine how you and your children felt in that moment. The realization of what was happening, mm -hmm. right? Because, listen, we all hear what happens out in the community. We've heard about what happened to George Floyd. There's always this moment where you're like, how does it go from this thing to this extreme thing? And when you're in that moment and it's sort of happening and you're like, oh, oh, this is it. Yeah. This is this is how it happened. Like to feel that and to yeah. be in that and know this is how quickly it changes. Mm -hmm. This is how quickly a decision is made. This is how quickly and people in positions of authority. Right. Because those children were not doing anything and no one was complaining and nothing bad had happened. It was just people in positions of power deciding, right? And the only thing that was different in that moment was that there was a child of color in that group. And that was it. 
I've seen similar things, similar things being in school, and I kind of talked about this yesterday. But like, if I'm out in the hall doing work, and there's another student out there of color doing work in the hall, I will never get asked, "Hey, Ashley, what are you doing in the hall?" Like, what are you doing? But they'll ask someone else who's very clearly doing work, like they're doing schoolwork, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're not being disruptive. They're not on their phone, like or anything, and they'll get asked, like, "Oh, like, where are you supposed to be?" Like, yes, they're nice about it. But they would never ask me and there's been times where i'm sitting there and they'll ask the other student but they won't ask me and i'm sitting right there so that's so interesting and can we talk about that for a second please because once we had that experience it became very clear to me that i had to shift as a parent and i know i've heard my friends who are black talk about the talk with their kids about yeah. behaving in public i'm getting I'm <laughs> a little so then I had to have that talk and, and I'm not, a, you know, I'm, I'm not a black person, so, but I have to have, and then I have to have that talk with my children who are white passing, right? And, and have an immense amount of privilege who have always lived in diverse communities, right? That's very natural to them. And their disbelief, right? These are innocent children that now I'm kind of breaking a little bit and saying, Hey, you gotta be careful when you're walking down the street with this mm -hmm. friend. Yeah. You have a responsibility, right? Like, and and in their world, I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Right. Right. <clears throat> or like I think we talked about, you know, they we had a neighbor that they would regularly hop the fence and play in this neighbor's backyard. But once we were fostering this young man, I was like, mm-mm, that's over. You can't. The neighbor didn't care, but nobody living around yeah. them, they're going to look out. They're going to see that. They're going to know the neighbor's not there. And this changes everything, yep. right? And now mm -hmm. you're in danger. And you've created danger. Or now that the kids are driving, mm -hmm. you got to be careful yes. in a car with your black friend. You cannot be messing around, right? You like and having these conversations and breaking their innocence a little yeah. bit, right? Because for them, growing up in a diverse community, like they, their friends are all different shapes, colors. You know, like yeah. there is no difference to them, right? But and and they're like it, it's kind of hard to see unless you're looking, right? When and when I came into this public school system, I feel like I came from a mindset that like. I didn't see that happening, and so it was like in my mind, like, why would someone think to do that to another person? Yeah. And I think it goes back to mm -hmm. having assumptions about people like, oh, that kid is black, oh, that kid has curly hair. We're going to go ahead and assume that this is what they're doing, even though they're doing complete opposite. Like, your children were assumed to have been doing something not good right. in front of the toys. Right. Toys. Right. And yeah. let's talk about not just the institutional and cultural racism, but the fact that how many centuries have black families had to be like, uh-uh, be in line. Yeah. yeah. Right? Don't act you don't right, don't act up. You already got the disadvantage there. So right, so you so it's being reinforced, yep. right? Because you carry a heavier burden. Mm -hmm. Right? So it's there because we gotta make sure you're you're okay, yeah. right? It's a form. Obedience is a form yes. of being okay and, and safe in a space. So there, 
this just talking about this makes me think back. There was a, um, you know, after George Floyd and there were rallies and stuff, um, there was a rally down in Parsons where we lived at the time and um, it was very peaceful. Uh, the police department was involved. I feel like it was a positive rally. Um, there was a woman there. This is going to make me emotional, so I apologize. Um, just for our listeners' sake, um, I do have a biracial son. He is black and white. Um, and he's, there was a sign that said, and it was a little boy holding it that was also biracial. And he, it, the sign said, sorry. at what point do I go from being cute to dangerous? And that hit me so hard just thinking, that's my baby. <laughs> that's my little boy. At some point in his life, someone's going to see him for the color of his skin and think they have to clutch their purse or why does that kid have his hood up? That's something that's very big in our home. Um, if you're not outside, you take your hood off. Get your hood. People need to see your face, right? Have your hands out in the open. At what point does my baby become dangerous to other people in their view? And that was just something that I, I, it just will never leave the back of my mind. A lot of times it's in the front of my mind, just when we're in public. Um, you know, I, my husband is white. Uh, my, our daughter, my son's little sister is white. And so he is the only person of color in our household. And another thing that really, you know, just brings it all to reality for me is as a mother is my daughter is six. And she has blonde hair and blue eyes. And um, oddly enough, she looks just like my little sister. <laughs> but um, <laughs> she, you know, she's really starting to realize that her and her brother have different skin tones. And so she's having, she's asking questions about it, and which is fine. It's how we learn things. Um, but the fact that I have to explain to her and her brother how they have to handle different situations differently because of the color of their skin it just completely blows my mind that that is something that we even have to discuss. It just, it, it is, it, it is. And, and by the same token, you don't want to not have that discussion. Right. Because it's I've made that mistake. more painful mm -hmm. when it, it's, there, it's experienced in the world. Yes. Like what is happening? I have made that mistake. And I, I believe that it was Jillian who, um, something that stood out from our conversation. So first of all, thank you. Um, but you told me, you know, I've, I have had these feelings before as a white woman that, you know, like I said at the beginning of this, like I want to be quiet and listen and learn. I want to set that example. But I do have a dog in this fight. I do have a son that needs me to advocate for him. And that is what you told me. So I thank you for telling me that. It's, I mean, it's 100% stuck in my head. I think silence is complacency. I have always thought that, but I just didn't really know how to use my voice in a way that would be helpful and not offensive. I overthought being offensive um, in the past, but I, ever since our conversation, I have just been like, Brooke, you're not doing that anymore. You have to speak up. You have a right to speak up. You have a son who needs you to speak up. Um, and I want to make sure that he also is advocating for himself. You know, we had a situation, like I told you guys, he's, in, he's at a new school now. And uh, there was a situation where a comment was made to him. Um, and instead of, I'm just I'm smiling because I'm so proud of how he handled the situation. And, you know, instead 
of handling this, you know, um, just getting, you know, loud and, you know, we, in our, in our family, we talk a lot about, you know, the people that talk the loudest aren't always the ones that are heard. Um, you have to control your emotions to an extent so that people hear what you're saying and truly listen to you. And um, I feel like he really heard that lesson in, the, in that moment because he was willing to talk to the student. And even though I don't necessarily feel that was his place to educate, right? I don't think, I don't think he should have to, but he volunteered and said, I want to sit down with this student and explain to him what this meant to me, why it was offensive to me. Um, and he also, the student that made the comment was a student with autism. Um, and he wanted that student to fully understand the impact of those words. Um, and just watching him take that stance in such a mature, emotionally mature uh, way that he was advocating for himself, just, it really just, blew my mind because I don't know that, you know, when I got the phone call about the situation, I was not feeling, I was not feeling the calm. Sure. Let me advocate for my son. I, in fact, said, I need a minute to, to wrap my head around this. I, I need, I, I'm processing right what a now. What powerful example of your son embracing the diversity, yeah, right? Because kids on the spectrum exist in black and white yes. and this this conversation and this situation exists in the gray. Yes. And so for your son to embrace a different aspect of diversity mm -hmm. and appreciate the autistic child's yeah. role and say, okay, now I need to have a conversation with mm -hmm. you, right? Like that's so powerful. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know it's probably Jillian's term. I just want to say something <laughs> that you said about um, advocacy and speaking up. Mm -hmm. I spent so much of my life believing that um, that I had to figure out how to like be more professional, for lack mm -hmm. of a better word, mm -hmm. which I now understand is kind of a maybe capitalist white supremacist definition. I mean, because I, I, I honestly think this is actually probably a segue to Jillian as a powerful advocate, but what I learned and what I hope you guys learn too is um, – Offense is in the eye of the beholder, right? If I tell you the truth and it offends you, that's not my problem. Mm -hmm. It's just the truth, right? Mm -hmm. If if you are discriminating against my child, if you are walking up on my children in the store and I'm telling you it's wrong and that offends you, then maybe you need to look at that. And so as I would say to, to you, mm -hmm. be offensive. Be impolite. It's a it's it's the it's the need to appease that has gotten us where we yes. are. Yes. That obedience that we talked about. Yes. You know, not being offensive is a form of obedience. Mm. And I'm here for some disobedience, right? right? So absolutely. I love that. I love that. So you just have me smiling over here. And also <laughs> thank you. I I hate to say that I, I need that. Um I wish I had more of you guys in me. Um <laughs> This is this is a new arena. So please teach me, teach me, because I want to be right alongside you guys. I say all the time, the truth hurts. The truth does hurt. It does hurt. It's tell the truth. There's never anything wrong with the truth. Absolutely, and that you're right. That is a perfect segue um, into what Jillian's going to touch on. Um, and so 
in finding, you know, doing some research in the microaggression uh, realm, I found the term ableism. And I, you know, I've never heard this term before. So I, I would like for you, I know that it is a thing. Let me be very clear. I am not saying this doesn't happen. I'm just not sure. I didn't know that there was a term for it. So I'm going to define it as discrimination in favor of able-bodied people. Um, and so can you elaborate on that for us, Jillian? Because I know you can. <laughs> listen, listen. Um, wow. Discrimination of able-bodied people. For. It is for oh, able-bodied. Yes, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And yes. So, um, just a little background. So I'm, I'm, you know, a mom of Jayla, a little black girl from the east side of Kansas City in a wheelchair. Uh, brilliant, bold beautiful black mm -hmm. um and so when we talk about ableism um how many times we've run into to to this sort of discrimination um i can count on, i only think i can count on my hands so you know definitely in the classrooms when parents you know well jaylen you know jayla an iep learner um, and that is an in individual education plan. And so that's a protection for her under IDEA, which is a federal law. And um, you would actually have parents who would almost feel as, because she had protections and services for her, that it would take away from their children. What? And so that was, that's a real thing. And so they were like, well, you know, the, so many resources and the teachers always having to deal with her. You know, what, what, you know, my kid is going to lose out on something. Right. And so that's a real that's thing. Mm -hmm. And then me to come back and say, you know, having to be, once again, having to be the, the big, always having to be the bigger person in these, in these areas. Um, I've always struggled with, but I, I continued on just to be the bigger person um, because I feel like had I went there with them, like I really wanted to go there yeah. with them, um, everything. The, what I was trying to do would have been lost and um, and it would have affected Jayla in some sort of way. And so um, that's one of our experiences with that. Um, another, another issue is um, um, wheelchair um, ramp access. Um, you know, ramps get in the way. It, it, it takes us a few, you know, able-bodied people are like, you know, it takes us a few more steps to go up ramps. And I'm like, I mean, these are real instances where things like this have happened. Um, it took us 18 months to get a ramp built onto a local school. And I even mentioned it to a uh, board member. And the response from the board member was, this is just not about a uh, ramp. No, sir, this is absolutely about a ramp because this is access into education and an education institution. Yeah. And so you're, you're just upset about something else. This is not about a ramp, but no, this is about a ramp because my child needs a fair and, not and needs deserves. Yes. Yes. Deserves. Yes. And is entitled yes. to by law. By law. Yes. And I was like, and so, <laughs> you know, and then once again, me just having to be the per bigger person and mm -hmm. continue to advocate, which I will tell you later down the line, I got my turn, you know, Good. to really mm -hmm. just be who Good. I am and step into them places and really show how, um, 
I, you know, that the power that I have as a parent is just a little bit bigger than your power. And mm -hmm. I'm an organizer at heart. Mm -hmm. And so if I don't agree with what you have going on, I'm going to organize you right outside, right out of the mm -hmm. school board. So, you know, that's where I take my work. I just have to fight a little bit smarter and it takes a little bit longer. But mm -hmm. I'm going to get, you know, we're going to get our justice one way or another. That's what I love about you, too, is is you will find a way. You will find a way, and I, you're not shying away from these, these difficult battles, even with the emotional attachments that being a mom brings. You know, I, I do think that brings a whole new piece, right? Like, there's that term, mama bear, for a reason. Um, I, I tell, you know, I'm a volleyball coach, and I don't know how many times I have told my girls, like, when we've run into different situations is let me know. I will turn into mama bear. Mm -hmm. I absolutely will. And they always laugh at me and I'm like, no, you don't get it. <laughs> so major kudos to both of you guys for just working smarter and finding ways to still advocate. Like I, I think you guys are just. But I also want to go back awesome. to my uh, microaggressions, right? Because mm -hmm. the, the things that you experience, I, I will say that I was able to, to work and perform and think through those situations as an adult because I've went through so many microaggressions mm -hmm. as a child. Mm -hmm. And so by, unfortunately, by the time you, you're an adult and you're a parent, you already know how to work through that. And it's yeah. not new mm -hmm. and it's not going to take you out of character and it's, yes. it's not going to throw you off. It's, it yes, it's not going to fit. Yeah. It, it has absolutely no bearings on who you are as a person, but like growing up on an Indian reservation, and having white teachers and teachers who don't look like look like me, I've always wondered why um, I would, you know, there was, <laughs> they do little things towards me or have their biases towards me. And I didn't understand as a young child, right? Yeah. Just I just learned how to deal with it mm -hmm. and move forward with it. Um, caused a lot of anger yes. as a young child. And so I was a troublemaker. Mm -hmm. I was a fighter. People didn't understand. But I'm a black and an indigenous girl on a reservation. We're living in poverty, uh, million, uh, hundreds of years of genocide on our land, our culture stolen, our language stolen. Um, the Catholics have buried our babies. They have burnt our babies, you know, mm -hmm. just all this trauma. And then on top of it, having to deal with microaggressions. And it just took me full circle because I had a conversation with my with my cut my cousin she's like my sister and she was telling me about my niece about how um, um, some one of a one of the kids um, approached her and said they were gonna beat her up or do something like that and my cousin or my my, my niece was like if she puts her hands on me I'm gonna rock you know we're gonna mm -hmm. I'm a fight I'm gonna take protect myself and the teacher went to my cousin and was like or my niece and said um, if you touch her you will go to jail. And so microaggression, right? I'm like, she's clearly not the one who wanted to start, who who did, who, she wasn't the aggressor in this. Yes. But she's a darker, she's darker, she's brown skin, um, darker brown. And, you know, so she became now the, uh, after going to an adult and saying, hey, this person threatened me. And the next time she does, I'm going to rock her world. And then telling her that you're going to go to jail, microaggression. And yeah. so took me full circle because I had to deal with that a lot as well. And mm -hmm. I'm like, it's still happening. Mm -hmm. And I was ready to pull up. I was like, when I'm, I need to meet this teacher, I'm going to mm -hmm. need to sit down and have this conversation. Because yet and still here you are, you're a white teacher in a brown community. You're teaching brown kids. You know that they have, this is a community. They've been in trauma. You know, this is years of trauma. And your response 
is you're going to go to jail. And I'm like, are you, this is, this is school to prison pipeline. First of all, yes. How is she ever, how are your students ever going to trust you? And that is your response. Absolutely. And I said, that is what you're for. And then when you come from a place of trauma, the trauma is in our DNA. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that you fight our flight. I said, so if my niece would have cussed her out or ran away, she would have been in trouble. And then they, this just would have been a snowball of things. And so I talked to my sister about that. And I was like, similar to what I've experienced all my life, but I will say it wasn't a good thing, but it did help me. It did prepare me to deal with things further down the line, like Mm -hmm. being a mom of a little girl, girl in a wheelchair, being an, an activist, you know, um, so that that those unfortunate circumstances did help me yes. and pre- prepared me, yeah. prepared me for that, my that future life. That sounds similar to what I hear Stefan saying mm-hmm. when he talks about how grateful he is for his community and how his mom has worked so hard. Like that is what I hear. I see the same appreciation uh, from the both of you. So I guess that really leads me to, you know, kind of the next part of this. Um, so I'm, I'm sure that we're going to have listeners that can relate to something in this conversation. So what I want to talk about next is some ways that you would like to see your allies help move progress forward in the equity arena. Um, you know, you I think you really just nailed that as you're sitting here talking about your experiences shaped you for these these battles that you face with your own family and children. So I'm sitting here thinking I have zero of those experiences as a white woman. I don't, I have not been shaped for this battle. So help me help our listeners, if you would, all of you, um, you know, give us maybe how some areas that we can help and how, how do people get started? If there's somebody out there listening and they're like, oh, that just, that's, that is sticking with me. I want to help, but I don't know what to do. What advice do you guys have for them? The first thing that comes to mind is I charge everybody to disrupt, to be a disruptor. So disrupt anything that will be harmful to, to people, a child. So whether it's redlining, whether it's systemic racism, um, whatever it is, something that is affecting marginalized people that wouldn't otherwise affect, you know, a majority of people, mm-hmm. then definitely disrupt that. And I think that everybody... I charge everybody to 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 actually go go forth and disrupt everything that is not right and affects those marginalized. I love that. I would I would say the same thing, and I would also challenge people who, who, you know, when my child was in the local public school system. What I heard from a lot of parents, and you'll hear this not just about education, but you'll hear this in the broader community as well, versions of, well, it doesn't directly impact me, right? You know, like, I'm not getting pulled over, or I'm not getting talked to in the store. Well, why not? Mm -hmm. And, And look at that, and then understand that. It's not enough to acknowledge that it's happening. It's not enough for Jillian and I to advocate and speak up. It's... It's enough, like there have to be allies. And the only time change has been successful is when people have allied with the marginalized group to move that forward. Mm -hmm. Because I think Jillian touched on this, was there's a little bit of gaslighting. No matter what the situation is, there's a bit of gaslighting that happens. Like that's not really real, Mm -hmm. but 
No, it's for real, real. And until somebody who's not experiencing it acknowledges that and says, no, this is really a problem, it doesn't get the traction because it's easily dismissed, right? Like, I for sure have had parents say directly to me, your child takes away from my child in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Well, you need to, like, in that moment, right, recognize the things that, you know, that you're saying that are just not true. And that parent was a teacher. So... (laughs) Yeah, and I think it's just like ignorance does not discriminate. And I think, and and, oh my lord, and being accustomed to privilege is a real thing, Mm -hmm. right? Being accustomed to privilege is a real thing. Mm -hmm. I've 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 had to sit several people down and have real conversations and say you're privileged, Mm -hmm. and and that's why you're reacting this way. And it's once again, like Stefan said, the truth hurts. Yeah, and and um, but. I feel like I was, I, I had to have those tough conversations mm-hmm. and, and, and I'm okay with having those tough conversations, right? Yeah. Um, and I also think that, I also want to remind everybody that there was a reason why there was abolitionists in history. And so I, I, would, I want to encourage everybody who sees unjust things happening to go on, go ahead and put on that abolitionist coat and wear it and wear it proudly and and disrupt those things that are affecting people. Mm. Well, like you heard it here. Be a disruptor. I believe standing up two voices or fifty voices are better than two voices. Yes. Even if you feel the slightest bit of inconvenience when it comes to a certain topic, stick up for it. Mm-hmm. Go with your gut do what your gut says and yeah. Yes, and I think I think you know, Jillian, you gave a perfect example of this earlier. Is whenever you approached a board member about the wheelchair ramp, and he said, "Well, you're just emotional about something else," yeah. and this is what it's. But if I'm by her side saying, "No, mm-hmm. this what she is saying is true," and then if you join in the fight and yep. you join in the fight, and he can't ignore all of us, right? Don't get and by yes. the way, so what if she is? Yeah, exactly. Does I'm that sure she is. from the right. fact that yes. the, the ramp is not there? Mm-hmm. Right. It's so right. what? And still to this day, um, if anybody wants to drive by uh, off of Warnell, there is a school that has a ramp in the back. <laughs> Remember that that was because of my Jayla. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And thank you for not stopping and letting that comment from him deter you. Absolutely. Yes. No, because uh, full circle. Things are different now. Yes. That person is no longer part of the board, uh, school board. I will also say as well, though, um, when you guys talked about standing together, the power of a collective voice Mm -hmm. is very, very powerful. Um, I've seen things change. And so, um, yeah, definitely stand together and speak up. Definitely speak up. And I would also say when people put it back on you or make it personal, you know you've hit something, yeah. right? Yeah. So yes. when they make when they make an issue about you, you know you got it, yeah. right? That because yeah. So just be really aware of that. That's right? a really great point. Um, the conversations are uncomfortable, like you said, Stefan. The truth hurts. Yeah. Then you bring another great point is. They're, you're probably going to get attacked mm-hmm. personally. So be aware of that. Put on that armor and don't let that phase you from, from the fight that you're going to have to battle. And, and I would totally be amiss if I didn't mention 
always showing up in whatever space you are in as your true, authentic self. I think that you are more powerful when you show up comfortable with who you are, and it's okay. And even if you feel like you're in that space of, I don't know for sure who I am yet, um, you know, I, I feel like we have a lot of young adults that get into that space. I, I was there at one point in time with myself. I still like I'm feel I'm still you know figuring it out. But even if you are com- unsure of who you are, show up that way and humble yourself and quiet yourself and just be willing to learn and listen. I, I know how to show up with the voice of being poor, black, brown woman from the east side of Kansas City with a disabled child with, you know, years of genocide against my people and slavery. And it's okay. English being the you know, the the second language of my grandmother, who was my primary take care, caretaker. Mm-hmm. And so it's okay if I go in. It's okay if I show up and my accent starts to hit when I become upset because that's yes. okay because that accent traveled through generations mm-hmm. of my ancestors. Um, and gen- and I just can't get over that. You know, our people were, mm-hmm. were, you know, our people were wanting to be, you know, people wanted to exterminate our people, yes. right? But that, that accent has traveled hundreds of years mm-hmm. and through all of that trauma and here I am today. And it is okay mm-hmm. to be who you are, mm-hmm. have that accent That's and powerful. look exactly like your true self. So That is powerful. Goodness. Goodness. You, oh. Yes, yes, yes. This is such a great conversation. <laughs> Um, does anybody else have anything that they, they just feel strongly that they want to touch on? I don't want to wrap up if there is still something that you feel that you have left unsaid or there's a direction that you feel you want this conversation to go. I think that as far as what and you two were talking, what came to mind uh, as of being an advocate is to stop viewing people through your lens and through your perspective. Yes, you relate to people that way, but when you're trying to understand someone's story, it's important that you're not like, well, I don't experience that. So like, let me view it through my lens, but you're not gonna understand if you don't like lay down some pride and lay down your expectations and lay down like the bad assumptions and listen and be like, okay, now I know how I can help because I've listened to your story. Yeah, I try my hardest to be optimistic about any situation Mm -hmm. I come across, especially when it comes to different race, so. Even different genders, I just try my heart to understand where they come from before I even slightly bit of judgment comes out of my body. So it's going to leave it at that. Definitely being open minded mm-hmm. to everything. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, I think that that's, I, I've, I have, I'm fortunate to, to come from places that look always look different than a white male. Um, and I think that, um, being open-minded to all those situations is always like helpful and to understanding who people are and help you to relate to people. So. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Anybody else have anything? And you're already doing it, right? You, yes. Like, your story about noticing the difference even in the hallway. Mm-hmm. You're there. You're seeing, yeah. right? You're, you're seeing it. You're, you're already doing it, right? Yeah. Like leaving things for your neighbors who need it, like you're seeing, you know, the need and, and mm-hmm. stepping up, yes. right? So I feel good about the future. <laughs> I know, I do too. And this, right? you guys, this is exactly what inspired me to start this podcast mm-hmm. is like our kids, I'm, I know you're not kids, but I'm, I'm sorry. It's not in a bad way. Our teenagers, <laughs> they have 
I just feel like they're vastly misunderstood, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Like yeah. sometimes it's easy to say, oh, they're lazy, they're disengaged, mm-hmm. they're all of these things, but listen to them. All you got to do Amazing. is just listen yeah. to them. I listen what they bring to the that table. Word, lazy has been with me for at least a decade. And I'm only 17. Mm-hmm. I, growing up, having, you know, no male role model, every time I was around my masculine grandfather, I was called lazy for not doing the task right or correctly. And it was simply because of the fact that he didn't want to actually take his time to help me do it thoroughly. So every time I would try to do it, he would call it like, can I have my latkes? Yes. He would say like half-assing or like just not being it. That's a bit weird in the <laughs> I heard that a lot. So when I heard lazy now, I totally flips my role and like how I think of you want it because I've been called lazy. And now... I'm starting to sit back and think of myself, why am I doing all these extracurriculars? Is it really because, like, subconsciously, I don't want to be lazy? Or do I just have a drive now because I want to prove the people who call me lazy wrong? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of going to keep up on me, but... Well, I was going to say, and you know, that could be detrimental at some point. Yeah. If you just continuously go, 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 just to prove someone's statement yeah. about you wrong. That's where you got to, you know, look within and be like, am I really lazy or am I, am I battling this? And is this going to turn into a negative at some point? Right. That could be, that could be very motivating and inspiring, obviously. Um, But at what point does Mm -hmm. it become a negative? You got to find where that line is for you personally. That's what I was thinking. And I was sitting with myself, like, how would this person treat me if I didn't have a job or two jobs or do extracurriculars like sports or Mm -hmm. um, be in extra clubs? Not, you know, I wake up at six, don't get home till eight. Like, I have a long day, so mm-hmm. I wonder how the conversation would go with this person if I would come home at three and, like, lay in bed, you know, chill, make dinner, you know, uh-huh. just be at home. I Would the lazy mentality start to keep up on me a little bit more? So I'm just starting to really sit with myself and think about, like, how this could be and why I'm doing this stuff. So that's, that's like, in my mind, that's what I'm going to yeah. do right now. Yeah. And remember that the idea of, Grinding and being busy is is a white capitalist yeah. idea, mm-hmm. right? Like the you know this idea that you and and what does that mean? Like what is lazy? Yeah. You know, so as you go into the world, don't let people put things on you, yeah. right? Like you're right, you're doing a lot of stuff. If it's not what somebody else defines as productive, that doesn't mean it's not real. But remember, busyness. We have a whole culture that's suffering from that. It's yes. a whole different podcast, yeah. right? Yeah, I was going to say that's a whole different episode, but yes. So it's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. So and it's a com- you know it's a it's a comparative statement. Like co- lazy compared to what? Yeah. Compared to all the things you have going on, or are, like you said, that's a whole oh, and <laughs> that's a whole episode that, in itself. And I think it also leads into a whole other conversation, which is the importance of mental health, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And in, in our communities. Uh, mental health is, you know, considered a taboo yes. topic. Yeah. Yes. And um, I think that it's like everybody needs to be um, um, be healthy mentally mm-hmm. <laughs> and around. Mm-hmm. And it's okay if you need to get some help to ensure that you have that, like, like you're feeling safe and that you're feeling okay and that your mental health is okay. Like, yeah. it's okay yes. like to lean on that. Especially it's okay to come home at three. Yeah, yeah. That's what it, it is. is. Why is that a bad thing? And it's okay to cry, and it's okay to not have not so mm-hmm. good days. Yes. Um, my J Lo would often call it a two plus two day, and um, 
Yeah, so it's okay to have a two plus two day. It's mm-hmm. it's it's okay. It's okay. I used to be on myself all the time. I was like, I haven't been on my A game. Like, mm-hmm. I need a gun. And I was in D.C. and I was like, God, I wasn't myself. I should have did this. I should have done that. I should have said more. I should have done more. It's okay. It's okay with just being you. Take mm-hmm. the small ones. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you don't know. That's... Maybe the things that you did say just because you didn't think you were on your A game. Mm-hmm. Somebody heard heard yeah. it, and somebody yeah. needed to hear that. So, it, yeah, it is. It's really hard not to look and, and tear yourself apart in those moments. Um, I would encourage our listeners if, on the mental health um, aspect, I learned a lot, a lot, a lot. Whenever um, I attended a mental health first aid class, um, you know, we do have the traditional CPR and first aid classes, and there are now mental health first aid classes, and it really digs into why mental health is so important and why we need to treat mental health as our physical health. Um, it's just as important. Mm-hmm. And there's different activities that you do throughout the class. So I highly, highly encourage um, just Google it and find some classes close to you if, if that's something that you're interested in and want to learn more about. You know, you were saying too about um, somebody needs to hear it. I've, I've been an organizer for years and years. And we assume that people in positions of power know things. Right, because they're in a position of power. But one of the first projects I ever worked on, an elected official said to me, they were real upset about me agitating things. But then at some point it shifted and they went, I didn't know this other side. And that was the first time that I went, well, that's that's why it was important for me Mm -hmm. to, like, you're not getting, they're not getting all the information, yeah. right? And and it gets worse the higher up you go, right? Mm-hmm. So yes. you can start at the city level, the county level, whatever. But but the filters grow tighter. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't, nobody knows what, what your game was like in D.C. They just, yeah. you just, right? Like. You said what needed to be said. You said what yeah, needed to be said. Yes. 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 <laughs> um, while we're on the topic of mental health, I believe. I would not, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. I just want to stress the fact that a good balance is your A1 to having a good mental health. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I do a lot of things in one day, um, school, internship, uh, track practice, work, that's my day-to-day, Monday through Thursday, so I have to balance that out. I do positive things, I meditate, I play video games, that takes me away from reality. Mm-hmm. I, uh, work out, just listen to music. That's a big one for me. I love listening to music. Just finding a good balance to, so you're not overloading, you're not stressing, you're not just like really tearing yourself down. Because a lot of mental stress uh, can pile up and turn that to physical stress and it makes you look way tired when you wake up in the morning. And just overall, just find a good balance. And, and as you get yeah. older, that physical stress, instead mm-hmm. of just looking tired, <laughs> it I think it's we can all agree down yeah. here, you feel it in so many different mm-hmm. ways, and it really does affect, then it affects your productivity level. Yeah. Then you really can't do yep. things. Then overall, and then your physical that. health. And yes. you don't, yeah. Yeah. And then it just goes downhill. So, yeah. The really big point of that is just being okay with the rhythm of life, because life is going to life. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Life is going to life. Gonna yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That is what I'm going to say to the her. That was so good. I need a shirt. That was great, Ashley. I feel like it is, and there's, I personally get so upset when life doesn't do what I want it to Mm -hmm. because I'm like, dang it, Ashley, you messed up. You didn't do enough. You didn't say enough. You didn't Mm -hmm. work hard enough. You didn't get the money that you needed to get. 
and I forget that like I'm not in control of life life happens yeah like I'm in control of my actions I'm in control of my emotions but when like pulp hits the fan yeah. I can't control yeah that and I yeah. have to learn to be okay with that rhythm and not beat myself up and then get down on myself and then get in a bad place mentally which yeah. will lead to Physical that was so good. Ailments. I'm yeah. so proud of you. Like that I was awesome. Like I mentioned with Julian, um, can't win them all. So just learning how to take the little wins yeah. would take you a long way. Like, dang it, man, having a long day, coming home, you know, still have to do chores, eat food, you know, get in the shower, and then do homework. I'm not doing homework, let's be real. <laughs> but my, okay. my, my, thing, okay. my thing is, when I get in bed, I'm like, okay, let's get this homework done. And I turn on Netflix, I'm taking the positive ones every time, you know? Like, <laughs> just being realistic with yourself and staying positive about it is going to take you a long way. So. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, thank you all for sharing your personal experiences and being vulnerable with us today. It has been a great start to conversations that cannot be ignored. We must make ourselves uncomfortable in these moments so that all humans that we love and don't know, even know yet, are treated as such. Um, so I would like for us to do one more thing before we go. Oh, it's fishbowl. It's fishbowl uh, time. So each of us are going to go around the Can room. I pick my and, own? Yes, you get to pick your own question and then pass the fishbowl. And we will start here with Miss Roxana. We'll just go around the room and answer oh, yeah, each of these it. questions. <laughs> I knew this was going to come up. All right, go for it. Describe your ideal moment of relaxation. Is that hard? Oh my God. I know. My mind just goes blank. What is that? Does that even. relaxation? I know. What is (laughs) that? What is it? Um, Okay, there is a point in the week, not even in the day, uh, because I do work two jobs, and so sometimes I work late into the night. But if I can knock off early and put, like if I had my pajamas on at six o'clock and then when we when we moved we bought one of those beds that like moves and the head comes up like uh, yeah. we just got it, one of those like <laughs> life changing bed so like I get in my bed and I have all my pajamas and then I put the bed into zero gravity and I flip on the tv and I just lay there that is my moment and I don't even care like sometimes I get a little embarrassed because it's six o'clock yes but then I'm like I don't care mm-hmm. and yes. then I go to sleep at like 7 30 and I'm so happy that like? that's my right like I miss going to bed at 7 30 <laughs> <laughs> I miss it so I don't know yeah, if I could. I don't know if I could make it to one o'clock in the morning. And the thing is, I don't know why I'm so energized. Even like I get throughout my day, and I'm like, okay, I'm. Still you get a second win. Yes, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah, Ashley, what's your question? Um, it says, who would you consider to be your best role model, and what do you look for in a role model? Mm. So I have two. Okay. I have my mom, and I have God, and I feel like that. Those are the two I consider my best role model, and the reason why is because of kindness. My mom's biggest thing, she's like, I don't, like, yes, I love that you're a good student academically, and I love who you are, but my biggest thing is, is that you are a kind human being, because nobody wants to know someone who's unkind. That's you true. You don't want to talk to that, and you're not going to get yeah. anything done. Like, you're not going to be a productive person if you're not kind. Yes. So. I like it. Yeah. I like it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I tried, I you didn't write a key on it, right? 
Stefan, what's your question? Uh, what is your biggest hope for the future? I have a couple. One, I hope that, not to be egotistic or anything, I hope that I make it. Uh, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. Like, I want to be known for that. Like that guy as being positive and genuine. And positive to existence. Mm -hmm. Yes. Put it up. Right. I'm going to be known as the guy to be very positive and just very impactful to people. And I really want to give back to my community and pretty much, like I said, being a genuine human being. And I believe in good karma. So going on to the second one, my biggest hope is to racism. <laughs> I gotta. I really hope that racism dies down by the time I'm somewhere in the future. But gonna put that out there, leave it there. Because mm -hmm. yeah. it's still a thing, and it's sad to hear, but I had to put it out there. That's why we're talking about it today. Miss mm -hmm. Jillian, what's your question? Oh, this one was for me, I guess. Um, <laughs> would you rather be rich and half unhappy or poor and happy? Listen, what is life without happiness, mm -hmm. right? And I think that I can speak to two different things like one what do you consider rich because am i indigenous the culture there yeah is being rich as not having all the fortune in the world right. being rich is being healthy having people who love you mm. love that so much and then on the flip side of that also um listen i was fortunate enough to um be the caretaker and the mother of a very happy little girl who struggled in life like some going through some really bad things like mm -hmm. having muscular dystrophy unable to walk still happy um in them circumstances uh being and told sassy. and and super sassy and, <laughs> can't and imagine then, where she got that <laughs> and then also on top of that getting diagnosed with inoperable uh, incurable brain cancer oh brain tumor um and so still the happiness that mm -hmm. was in here so just being able to watch that happiness through horrible circumstances was everything. So happiness um, over anything, always. Oh, so inspiring. <laughs> Wait, do you get one too? Yes, I okay. did. I did, I did. Um, I thought about redrawing, but like you said, this must have been for me. I must have drawn it for a reason. So what is your favorite thing about your community? The reason I was going to redraw is just because I'm very new to my community. Um, but one thing I have noticed is um, how nice everyone is everyone's been so welcoming to my family um and really just helpful i mean we've had different people that um you know different contacts that i've known or knew of and i i mean when i say no i mean like we've had i would say we're more of acquaintances um and they've just been so welcoming and willing to reach out and help us in whatever it has been that we've needed through this move you know moving you know we my husband has lived in Parsons his entire life until we just recently moved. And we moved, um, you know, two hours, two and a half hours away from his hometown. And our where our kids have grown up, you know, their lives. And so there's some stressors that come with it. Now, I won't sit here and tell you that it was super difficult or anything, but it just comes with its own stress is what I'm saying. Um, but the willingness of everyone to welcome us with open arms and genuinely be interested in who we are as people and it, it, you know you don't get that fake like I want to dig into your life to tell your business kind of feeling it mm -hmm. is it is very genuine um so I just I really appreciate that about the new community that we live in so that, that excites me for my children's future yeah. for sure yeah. so 
Well, thank you guys all um, for engaging in that. That is one of my favorite things to do. It just helps lighten things just a little bit, let the listeners get to know you guys a little better. Um, So we want to thank our listeners for listening to an episode of A Seat at the Table. We hope you leave this episode feeling encouraged and confident in yourself and the abilities you have. Whether that means you have the energy to go clean your room or conquer the world now, we are proud of you. Now get going. Go use your powers for good.